With a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George, welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Good morning and welcome to After 9. I'm your host, Eric Allen, and for my guest in the studio today is James Steedle. Or Steidel, whichever one you prefer. Whichever one, they're Mr. Allen. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Herb Martin, no relation to Martin. Uh, our Prime Minister of days gone by. So we're going to have a number of subjects this morning. Uh, one will be what's happening at Ginner's Green, and uh, I'm not going to get into the details now, now because James is going to cover off on that. And also, how the rezoning's done, as we understand it, in Prince George and... Uh, I don't understand too much about it, so we'll be into rezoning and some other things that are going on. So that'll be interesting. Then later on in the uh, day, we'll bring on uh, Peter Ewart. Uh, and Peter wants to talk about the upcoming holiday, September 5th, I think it is, Labor Day uh, national holiday, and, and get into some history of labor in Canada and how we got to where we are and where we sort of came from. And it's sort of interesting that... Uh, we tend to forget about that stuff as we march along, but we wouldn't be eating steaks today if there's some people who wasn't standing on the picket lines maybe 50, 75 years ago. So we'll let Peter get into that. So we'll start off with James and uh, Herb here, and then we'll just keep going. Yeah, thank, thanks for having us on here, Eric. I know we've we've talked about this uh, on a couple shows in the past, but uh, just a heads up, we've got a meeting tonight at City Hall. It's uh, I think kind of one of the few last regular council meetings before the election, and it's going to be a good one. So I'd encourage folks to get down there. Uh, Five forty-five, or we're hoping to get people uh, rallied down there. And what we're going to do is we're going to have a, a presentation about Ginter's Green, which is the phenomenal dog park at the end of Massey that stretches from the end of Massey all the way over to the end of Foothills, and it kind of encompasses the escarpment uh, behind that park. Up to UNBC, there's a whole bunch of trails in there for mountain biking, horseback riding, and it's kind of all under threat. So we want to talk about that tonight at the city council there. We've got a presentation uh, that kind of delves into why this is really important, why that hillside's really important, and, and uh, yeah, we can... We can talk about that uh, this morning a little bit and give you a little primer on on kind of the ground that we're we're going to cover. Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, when you say refer to it, everyone refers to it as a dog park, but I mean, it's it's got a lot of other values, right? I mean, it's one of the few places in Prince George where people that it's uh, is good for wheelchair accessible um, uh, people. So that's 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 a pretty a big um, and that's and it's year round, right? Yeah, I talked. Actually, I ran into uh, Elaine there from Aim High. Uh, I, was, I was just down there briefly last week, and uh, she was taking Tyler out for a walk there. And she said that um, you know it's basically one of two two parks, and the other one's Cottonwood, or no, uh, sorry, Lady Tenney, uh, which has kind of you know um, paved uh, paths that I guess they keep clear in the winter. Yeah, the third one would be Connaught Hill, but she says kind of hard to get up there. It's quite quite a big hill up there, not a huge area to mosey around on once you get up there so you know as from my impression that was that was kind of the, the chief the, the premier park in the city is is ginter's green and of course the city has a long-term plans to run two major roadways through there so they want to run massey uh right up the escarpment and hook that up to tyner up top there and then they want to run foothills from uh all the way over to the end of ferry 
And Herb and I walked up there actually a couple weeks ago when we had our little meeting in the park. And I mean, it's just a phenomenal ecosystem up there. And it's it's some of the most magical kind of trail trails that I've found in the city yet. What do, what do you reckon, Herb? Yeah, it's it's amazing. And I think you've done a little research. There's um, how much did the uh, University Way uh, road go over budget? Oh yeah. So so just a little backstory to that. So we want to build this massive extension up the hillside. Uh, and this has been on the books for 30, 30 plus years. Uh, I think there was originally going to be the main route up to UNBC, but they they ran University Boulevard up. But that didn't mean they'd stop thinking about Massey because they actually put a lien on some of the private property on that hillside in 1996 after the University Way was completed. So they they've been they've been thinking about putting this road up there uh, even after they finished the University Way. And like Herb's saying, that was a huge nightmare. I think the original budget on that was eight eight point six million, and it uh, doubled, didn't it? It almost doubled. Yeah, the final price tag on that was sixteen million. Okay, and that was nineteen ni- ninety three dollars. Dollars, so that's uh, equivalent now would be double that again. Yeah, so you're talking twenty six million dollars. Yeah, and then we had to go to the the province and ask them for money, and this doesn't include all the litigation that went on for years. Yeah. Well, don't forget, you guys, the the big panic to get that. That road up there was the Queen was coming to town, and they didn't have time to go up escarpments, so they come in from the 15th Avenue side. The Queen could have gone up uh, from Tyner side, but they wanted to come in that way and, uh, you know, kind of show the city and look down and see the deal. So, yeah, I can recall $18 million. I think they were talking about a million dollars a kilometer or something it cost to put that road up there. So there's that. And now the OCP that you're, or the, uh, the uh, roads from uh, that you're talking about now going up there, they've been on the OCP for something like 15 years or something? What? Uh, I think it's a, it's a 15-year road plan, and I, I, I should actually know this. I, I read it once. I didn't write it down, but I think that, o- that road plan came out in 20, 2013, 2014. So we're going to say uh, they're seven years into this 15-year plan. They've got another eight years to um, finish the uh, roads. Yeah, so, but there's so. no. Let's let's be clear. There's no budget on the on the table to build this road next year, or whatever. You know, they they haven't come up with the actual, um, the actual concrete plan to build the road. It's the concern is it's on the plan, and once you have something on the plan, there's actually some legal uh, consequences of that. Uh, it can lead developers on thinking that you know the property might be worth something because the city's the taxpayer is going to foot the bill for this road through their property that's going to benefit them. Right, so you know, and if they sell the property on the assumption that you've got a road going through there and the plan, and it doesn't get built or whatever, then I don't know. There could be consequences like in Canmore and Alberta. So the argument here is just like get it off the plan, so nobody's being let on, you know, so that we we know what to expect going forward into the future. Um, but but here's here's the thing. Here's the reason they want to keep it on the plan is that. We're developing the top of that escarpment all along Tyner. All that green space, all that forest, it's all going to get mowed down. I don't think people realize that. I mean, this was kind of agreed on about 10 years ago, uh, the official community plan at that time. And and I don't think people took it seriously because, you know, Prince George hasn't really grown very much in in 30 years. But now it's it's totally different, right? We're losing losing forest uh, every day, it seems. You know, and, and there's a hearing... Or there's a uh, a report before council tonight, not related to the Ginter's Green, but actually related to another development that we just found out about, 
or amendment really uh, about that development on a speak container that uh, was recently sold. I think it's about 26 acres or something. And they, the city is actually going to remove more green space from the plan uh, to make this developer happy. And we're just bending over backwards for developers that don't even live in this town, in a city, uh, and we're compromising the livability of our city. As a result, we're compromising stormwater management, we're compromising uh, wildfire mitigation, uh, we're compromising the very identity and soul of the city, which is revolves around the city being close to nature. And, you know, you got the moose signs on Tyner. You know, we like to see moose on the roads. We want to see those signs be relevant for decades into the future. But, I mean, the way we're developing, it's not going to be like that. It's just going to be a big urban kind of hellscape up there. I think there's, there's another big consideration for taxpayers, too, is that all this development on Tyner, is going to lead to demands uh, to um, twin Tyner from Aspica all the way over to uh, the top of University Way, uh, top of that hill there. And that will include replacing that bridge over the Shane Creek, which is at present uh, just two-lane. So you'll need a four-lane bridge, and you'll need roughly six kilometers of new... um, of new roads, so that's you know that's that's another huge bill, and so you know you, everyone has to ask themselves you know is this really going to be worth it for an extra what three or four hundred houses um, up on Tyner? Uh, this is uh, extremely uh, expensive development that uh, really benefits. I mean, it's it's the the, the houses are, are high cost, and um, they're being sold on the basis of, of a nice view. But, um, you know, the, the taxpayer is going to pick up the bill for uh, either uh, uh, basically improving the present infrastructure or even putting these no roads through like they're proposing on this OCP. So, you know, this, it's time for people to get involved and, um, uh, and really start at looking at what, what is good for the, for the taxpayer. Is that uh, do we want this escarpment developed or not? Um, it's not just a dog park. It's it's a park, and it could be the the heart of Prince George in the future. Uh, it has all sorts of values, and um, yeah, you know, get get out there tonight, and and uh, if if you don't want to go inside and listen to hours of council and people talking, just uh, show up at uh, was it five forty five outside of City Hall? Five forty five. Yeah. Yeah. I I just want to comment a little bit on on the official. The idea that this official community plan is, is kind of locks us into a certain path forward. You know, the official community plan was always meant to be a living document, meaning, you know, it's always got to reflect the the goals and values of, of the city and the people that live here. So, you know, it can be changed. And actually, we're seeing that tonight. Like, they are going to change the official community plan in favor of development, right? That's what they're, that's what they're talking about tonight. Uh, the official community plan for the University Heights neighborhood or the neighborhood plan, it already allows a huge amount of development up there. You know, and they, they wanted to maintain a little bit of green space. Well, the, the hearing tonight, or the, one of the motions tonight, is about getting rid of more of that green space and converting more of that green space into more development above and beyond what is already allowed. And city staff is recommending that. And city council, presumably, is going to go along with it. So I think we really need to send a strong message to the city, or the city really needs to have a big discussion about, um, you know, is that what we want as a city? I mean, maybe staff wants that, uh, but do the people of the city want that? Well, and, and as taxpayers, you've got you to remember that every time you start uh, developing forest land, 
you're increasing the runoff 25 uh, or 25 times. So once you put in roads and you've got uh, buildings with uh, with roofs, uh, you know the stormwater uh, basically does not uh, soak into the ground. It flows across the uh, land, and it's already uh, a problematic drainage system at the uh, the basic inters. Uh, Shane Creek has had work remedial work done last year, uh, trying to improve the drainage there, but uh, that whole uh, well that whole escarpment basically funnels water into the bowl. And uh, I think you could probably make a link to some of the floods that we've had along uh, Massey uh, at the corner of uh, Kearney there uh, in the last couple of years, um, basically to all that water flooding in. I think um, uh, Massey Place Stadium uh, and that uh, Carrie Jane Park uh, built on an old swamp, if I'm not mistaken, Eric? Yeah, that's correct. It used to be a big slough there, and I mean big and... uh you know, we used to skate on it, skate all the way up from South Fort George. You could skate all the way there to <laughs> Highway 16. And uh, over time, it's been filled in. And of course, it drains with Kerry Jane Gray Park. And I think James or somebody was going through Queensway a while back. And you can see, and I noticed that when I drove by the sediment in uh, at, in South Fort George there in that slough. We call it a slough. They've changed it to something fancy now. But... Uh, you can see that you know the sediment in there is having an effect on on wildlife and everything else. I mean, it, at some point it'll choke it right out, and so you know that water is coming from underground and from running down hills and whatever. So they need a real, real hard look at what's going on with uh, drains or water in, oh, in the city of Prince George. It's it's huge. And if you look at the uh, stormwater management plan for the city of Prince George, uh, it just was approved, I think, in 2021. But uh, they do uh, catchment um, assessments. And so the Hudson Bay Slough uh, catchment area, that includes Shane Creek and, and all of the escarpment up there where we're developing. And that was completed in 2016, so actually prior to a lot of the recent development. And even at that point, um, you know, the impervious surface, which is urbanized development, was around 28%, I think, of the catchment area. And it's it's uh, modeled to go up to 45% once we finish all this development. And there's a whole bunch of costs to that that they talk about in that document. Um, to upgrade the Hudson Bay Slough, I think they're, they're, we're going to be spending $17 million on upgrading that. And then... Just for the University Heights, just for the drainage from up there to to pipe that and and uh, get that into the system, I think is another four to five million. So oh, we're, we're talking over twenty million dollars just to deal with the stormwater management of of these new developments up on the escarpment. And and that document also has some other shocking statements, including that um, you know Prince George doesn't really put any of the burden on stormwater mitigation on the developers. And if you look at these developments, I mean, they're cutting down 100% of the trees from corner to corner. And, like, there's there's no thought being put into how to manage some of that runoff. And there was actually a big rainstorm yesterday, and, and Suzanne went and took videos up there on a speak of that new development. It was it was basically a flood up there. There was a big lake of water, muddy, silty water. Running um, down the streets. Running down the streets, going into the stormwater system. All that silt goes into the pipes, and that's not the developer's responsibility anymore. That's our responsibility as taxpayers. And, you know, that $20 million to upgrade the system, that doesn't include ongoing 
uh, silt removal and, and, you know, all these city workers spending hundreds of hours going into these pipes and, and hauling the silt out of them. You know, and there's probably all sorts of other costs. And none of that is required. None of that burden is put on these developers. And the way they're developing, it's just, um, you know, it's just out of whack, I think, with, with a responsible way to develop a city, including stormwater management. Okay, we're going to take a break now, and then we'll be back. Thanks. Hi, this is The Wolfman. Few entertainment genres have captured our imagination and been as successful as the good old-fashioned musical. From their vaudevillian roots to today's blockbusters, musicals have provided generations with a stream of memorable productions, show-stopping performances, and larger-than-life personalities. Join me for a unique adventure as we trip the light fantastic across more than a century of musical theater, from Broadway to the West End and all points in between. On with the show, Sunday afternoons at 2, only on Boomer Radio 90. 3.1 FM. Summer heat can be very uncomfortable. Help alleviate this discomfort with a properly fitting bra and swimwear at tops and bottoms. A proper fit will help you feel great and look your best, whether you're frolicking on the beach or at a staff barbecue. For an unsurpassed one-on-one fitting service, book an appointment today online at topsandbottoms.ca or call 250-614-1553. Tops and Bottoms, great summer support for the women of Prince George. The Prince George RCMP is requesting the public's help in locating a wanted person. 30-year-old Jenny Jean Marie Lowley is wanted for assault causing bodily harm. Ms. Lowley is described as an indigenous female, 5 foot 2, 122 pounds with brown hair and brown eyes. Ms. Lowley is considered violent and should not be approached. If you have any information about Jenny Jean Marie Lowley or where she may be, please call the RCMP at 250-561-3300. Forecast from Environment Canada, a mix of sun and cloud today. Increasing cloud is this afternoon with wind from the northwest at 20 and a 40% chance of showers with the risk of a thunderstorm. A high of 24 with a high UV index. Cloudy tonight, a 60% chance of showers this evening with the risk of a thunderstorm. Northwest winds becoming light, a low of 11. For Tuesday, cloudy with a 30% chance of showers in the morning, then a mix of sun and cloud. A high of 23 with a high UV index. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back, and we're going to stick with the rezoning and the OCP and uh, stormwater. Uh, I, I always was under the impression that Upper College Heights, uh, Tyner Boulevard, University development going into that that water came down in behind Walmart and then went down um, to maybe along Malaspina or something to uh, the lower part, the Fraser River benchlands, and then into the river there somehow. So I think we have two systems here, unless I'm wrong. And the other one goes down from this sort of part of town, goes down to uh, Gary Jane Gray Park and, and through there and then into the Fraser River or whatever. So there's, I think there's two, something you might want to check out at a later date, but but the question that I have is all this new development, some of these lots won't be developed totally for 20, 25 years. But when they go in there, you know, the city develops them. And then I think there's development cost charges that go against the contractor or the uh, investors or whoever are putting houses in there. And maybe at that time they pay for what's going on in there. But... The point I'm trying to make is that here, in this storm that you were talking about, the big rainstorm, 
Did you see any water running around on the streets of Prince George in this area or up in Spruce Land or there? Because they already have the stormwater system in there. And I I never seen any of My lawn picks it up or the rest of it goes into the, the drains. That's all over this part of Prince George, the older part. And we paid for it. Okay. Now they want to bring in a system. This is coming. I've read a few things about it, where they're going to charge you so much a square foot for your roof, for the water that runs off your roof, and in theory, gets into the storm water system or something. Don't not taking into account the amount that your lawn soaks up or whatever. And if you got a, a, a cement or asphalt driveway, uh, you're going to pay for that for storm water too. So the big increase in in us in stormwater charges, but our stormwater is taken care of. So that ties in with the question you were saying whether the developers, are they pay in their cost, or are they going to take this money? Because there'd be a single line item, I guess, like uh, snow removal or uh, that type of thing that they have. Uh, oh, probably, yeah. It'll be used to subsidize these new developments. Well, that's what it is, looks like, money, yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. They're, 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 they're bringing it in with the sort of, this is for the whole city, but in actual fact, I think they have a specific use for it. I'm just guessing here, but... Uh. Well, I, I hope tonight, at the when they do talk about this uh, this rezoning and uh, the OCP amendment for this development on Tyner and Aspica, that uh, a few questions are asked as to who paid for that roadway, that pre-development work up there. I mean, you know, the... <clears throat> They punched a new road in from Aspica up to, uh, what, Tyner, up to one of them new neighborhoods, the back end of one of those, the new neighborhoods there. And a friend of ours said he saw city crews working on it. Uh, so how does that work? You know, is that just something that the taxpayer pays for, a couple million dollars for a new road that basically the developer benefits from? You know, and I'd like to see the line, uh, the line, uh, budget on that well the the uh, troubling thing for me is that i mean this land has not been yet rezoned and yet the pre-development work is already done yeah so it's still zoned agriculture forestry but we're we're and, building city and, and city green paid. space actually there's actually i think two hectares of green space it's taken out of the ocp and put into residential housing well that's what they're going to vote on tonight yeah well but they've already done the work <laughs> so i mean i, I kind of think that the uh, the vote's going to be predetermined I mean, unless the the city really has it set up its uh, rear end, like you know, what what are they, what are they doing? Uh, developing oh, land, gr- green space uh, for residential areas. I mean, this is. Uh, uh, well, yeah, it's like you know, yeah, whoever's listening to the show, like we got to start standing up for for what makes this city so awesome, which is our green space. And I tell you what, from what I've seen, the city and the city administration does not care whatsoever about uh, about green space uh, it's just how can we uh, how can we make these developers as happy as we possibly can well the other thing too is there's a matter of equity here I mean the, the taxpayer is going to wind up presumably paying for uh, what up to 30 million dollars for a new bridge on University Way for the the twinning of the uh, of Aspica or, or of Tyner from Aspica to the university they're going to pay another 20 million dollars for increased storm drainage for all for what maybe 600 a thousand new houses um uh with a nice view that aren't going to be able to be bought by the vast majority of people who live in prince george there's there's a lot cheaper areas to develop and um you know maybe the the best bet for taxpayers uh is just to leave that land alone and to uh keep that as uh it's an amazing fire break 
in the middle of the city. It's an amazing uh, recreation area. And you know what? It doesn't cost anything uh, to leave it like that. Um, you're lo- we're looking at really big money to develop that area. And uh, maybe, it, you know, taxpayers should be starting to, you know, worry, given the, given the, uh, the history of this city council and this, and this mayor. You know, this, um, you know, maybe, maybe we've got to start uh, getting out there and showing, peop- showing people in power that, uh, you know, we're not going to take it anymore. Yeah, that's an interesting point you made about the wildfire mitigation. Uh, I finally found the old uh, report on the wildfire plan for Prince George. And uh, it's quite old now, but uh, at, at the time it was, uh, I think, 62% of the forest in Prince George is a deciduous fuel type. And it straight up talks about how that's a very fire-safe uh, fuel type to have, very low probability of burning. And it actually mentions specifically the area around UNBC and how that big deciduous forest right on the escarpment, it says it right in there, that that's, that's basically a fire break for Prince George uh, that uh, will keep fire. If, if we do get fire coming in from the west of us, that'll be a, a barrier uh, protecting the core urban area and what big, are we doing buffer yeah. what are we doing we're cutting that stuff down and replacing it with highly flammable uh you know uh, asphalt shingle uh back-to-back housing units uh that way if a fire does get in there i mean you see the pictures of you know if a fire does get into a neighborhood all the houses burn and even more intensely than the trees and the forest around it so we're basically getting rid of our fire break uh exposing our city to more fire risk which who knows? Coming down down the road, we don't know what the, what that risk is going to be. It might get way worse, or maybe we get lucky. Okay, we're going to take a break here, and uh, are we going to get Peter on now? And we're going to bring Peter on and talk about the uh, uh, Labor Day holiday and history of labor in Canada. So <clears throat> we'll do that, and then uh, if we have time, maybe we'll touch back on this subject we're on now. Mark your calendar on Thursday, November 3rd for Advocate Life and Education Services' annual Celebrate Life Gala. Enjoy an amazing dinner and hear from special guest speaker Rebecca Hagen, one of today's youngest speakers on the issues of teen pregnancy, abortion, and abortion pill reversal. Check out the gala website, CelebrateLifeGala.ca, for more details and to get your tickets. Advocate Life's annual Celebrate Life Gala, Thursday, November 3rd from 7 to 9 at the Civic Centre. The Prince George Council of Seniors is looking for volunteers for its social line to reach out weekly to lonely or shut-in seniors. It doesn't take much to be a social line volunteer. All you need is a cheerful manner on the phone and to pass a criminal record check. For more information or to volunteer for the PGCOS Social Line Volunteer Program, contact Jenny by email to info.pgcos at gmail.com or call 250-552-2820. The 30th Annual Antiques and Collectibles Fair is back this fall. October 1st and 2nd, check out a great variety of antiques and collectibles at the Roller Dome. Admission is just $5, $4 for seniors and students, and children under 6 get in free. A weekend pass is $8. In support of the South Bowl Community Association, the 30th Annual Antiques and Collectibles Fair, Saturday, October 1st from 10 to 5, and Sunday, October 2nd from 10 to 4 at the Roller Dome. 
Hope for Women Pregnancy Services is hiring a manager's assistant for their Prince George location. The ideal candidate has experience in counseling, strong administrative abilities, a heart for women and children, and enthusiasm for the cause. Start date is September 6th. If you or someone you know would be a good fit for this role, they'd love to hear from you. Full details are available through the Employment Opportunities section on the Get Involved page at advocate.ca. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back and we have Peter, Peter Ewitt on the line. And uh, you're there, Peter? Uh, yes, I'm, I'm here, Eric. Okay, yeah. you're all ready to rock and roll on uh, Labor Day holiday coming up, history of labor in Canada, and some of the high points uh, and... Uh, really some of the uh, things that labor was able to get for workers in Canada over the years? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, I just wanted to let everyone in uh, Prince George know that there's uh, a Labor Day march and celebration in Prince George on uh, Monday, uh, September 5th, uh, and it's at the Canada Games Plaza, which, as people know, is in front of the Civic Centre. And everyone is welcome to attend. It's organized by the Labor Day Organizing Committee and sponsored by uh, the North Central Labor Council and 18 other unions and labor organizations, as well as a number of uh, other community groups and businesses and so on. And, you know, at this celebration, there's going to be free food and entertainment for the whole family. Hot dogs, candy, drinks, games for kids, you know, booths and so on. And there's going to be music by the Cottonwood Band and uh, folk singer Kevin Hutchins and speakers and indigenous drummers. And and it's all free. Nothing is for sale. So the march starts at 10.30 a.m. and is going to wind through the downtown. And the celebration starts at 12 noon and lasts until 3 p.m. And I just wanted to say that, you know, this is... Uh, uh, the last couple of years, uh, there hasn't been an in-person Labor Day celebration because of the COVID-19 pandemic. But um, back in 2019 and 2018 and so on, um, Prince George had uh, the, this Labor Day celebration has been one of the biggest in uh, in, in Canada. Actually, you know, like we have more people in, uh, than come out to Labor Day in, in Vancouver. You know, so this it's been quite quite successful. Uh, this uh, you know series of uh, of Labor Days. You know, so uh, uh, if community groups or businesses want to set up a booth, there's still time to do so. And uh, you know, the the critical thing is is that to give away some kind of uh, wrap food or drink or something like that, or and to hand out information about your group or your union or your business, and uh, just to uh, let people know who to contact. There's still time to register. If you call Matt Baker at the um, International Union of Operating Engineers, uh, Local 115, his phone number is 250-563-3669. That's uh, 250-563-3669. But, just for, but I want to add, though, you know, like in terms of Labor Day, just getting into some of the things that you were alluding to there, Eric. You know, the banner for this Labor Day celebration in PG is uh, Labor Movement, Past, Present, and Future, Fighting for the Rights of All. And this Fighting for the Rights of All is a really important feature of, um, 
of, of Labor Day. Uh, labor organizations and unions, like historically, not only fought for the interests of their own members, but for all the members of the society. And, and they made a big contribution in that way. You know, like you, you look at the, you know, for example, uh, the labor movement fought for the eight-hour day, the child labor laws, better wages and benefits, you know, paid overtime, but also for pay equity for women, minimum wage for both union and non-union workers, improved safety for workplaces and communities, public education for all, Medicare for all, old age pensions for all, public services of various kinds, you know, against um, racial discrimination and sexism and so on, and for, for a, a whole host of other rights. So above all, you know, labor movement, one of the characteristics is, has been is, is that it's consistently fought for a better society and an end to exploitation, poverty, and unemployment. In that regard, it's, it's, it's useful to look back at the difficult periods of the 19th and early 20th century, you know, when you had the Industrial Revolution and uh, uh, when a strong labor movement was built. And uh, this was very important at the time there because there was a huge number of problems at that time. People did, did not have representation. There was, uh, you know, no, very few or no unions or whatever. And what, what got built were um, media publications, labor media publications, a progressive culture, you know, the unions were, were organized and, and even contributed to political parties and so on. All of this was done in the face of concerted opposition, you know, that uh, was against, uh, you know, the labor having more rights and freedoms and so on. Today, I guess, you know, one of the reasons why, why this slogan of fighting for the rights of all is still important is that uh, the labor movement still faces some of the old challenges and also some new ones. You know, like there's a tendency to roll back uh, or try to roll back by the establishment forces uh, achievements that have been done. But in the midst of this, one thing is for sure, you know, the labor movement will continue to fight for the rights of all in this society and uh, contribute, right? You know, we saw the way, you know, the heroic way that the uh, healthcare workers, you know, doctors, nurses, uh, uh, cleaning staff, etc., and all that worked during the pandemic. And uh, there's just many other examples of this. Like, uh, our whole society runs on labor. Like, nothing moves without labor. And nothing is manufactured without labor. And sometimes that uh, gets forgotten about or, or you, know, it, you know, they just talk about, you know, like, you know, CEOs like Bill Gates or something like that, forgetting the fact that you know, there's a whole army of labor that uh, brings uh, all kinds of production and uh, services into being every every single day. You know, so um, the critical thing is uh, that uh, fighting for the rights of all. But uh, for this celebration, everyone is invited to come out. You know, from from the town and uh, and participate and and celebrate the, this important day. Sounds good. <clears throat> I was going to say there, Peter, you were. Mentioning, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, that you had you had free food and I thought you said booze, but I guess you said booths, eh? 
<laughs> no, 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 no booze. No, no, no. This oh, is all three booths. Okay. Food and drink. You know, drinks like uh, <laughs> wait, wait. like water and stuff like that, right? <laughs> the other one was uh, you were talking. Oh, we're gonna take a break here, so we'll be back in a sec. The Alzheimer's Society of BC is continuing in-person education with considering the transition to and adjusting to long-term care Wednesday from 1 to 3 at the library. Learn how to access long-term care and factors to consider when planning a move. To register, call the First Link Dementia Helpline at 1-800-936-6033. The Alzheimer's Society of BC is considering the transition to and adjusting to long-term care Wednesday from 1 to 3 at the library. The Alzheimer's Society of BC offers online small group information workshops facilitated to provide opportunities for live discussion. Caregivers and people living with dementia are encouraged to take in staying healthy and building resilience in a time of change and uncertainty, Tuesday, August 23rd from 2 to 3.30. Explore self-care tips and strategies to positively manage stress for caregivers and people living with dementia. Sessions are free to attend. For more information or to register, visit alzbc.org ed. Workshops. The BC Schizophrenia Society has tips for family members and people living with schizophrenia to keep in mind as temperatures soar. Identify your risk. Not everyone is at risk the same way. Pay attention to local weather forecasts and alerts to help you know when to be more aware of risks. Make a list of things you can do to keep yourself and your place cool. And visit friends and family and neighbours on hot days to stay connected and mentally active. Forecast from Environment Canada, a mix of sun and cloud today. Increasing cloud is this afternoon with wind from the northwest at 20 and a 40% chance of showers with the risk of a thunderstorm. A high of 24 with a high UV index. Cloudy tonight, a 60% chance of showers this evening with the risk of a thunderstorm. Northwest winds becoming light, a low of 11. For Tuesday, cloudy with a 30 percent chance of showers in the morning than a mix of sun and cloud a high of 23 with a high uv index you're listening to after nine on prince george's community station 93.1 cfis fm okay we're back <clears throat> just a few things peter uh woody guthrie wasn't he kind of a labor uh song singing kind of guy in the u.s for a number of years do you remember him Oh yeah, no, Woody Guthrie, and there was a there's a whole number of uh, of other singers and uh, musicians and so on. Like the labor movement, you know, like in the 19th century and uh, you know the early 20th and middle 20th century, like it brought into being a whole a whole area of culture, you know, that uh, contributed to uh, you know the the culture, the overall culture of society, and uh, it was very it was very important in that way. But Woody Guthrie, yeah, he was. Uh, he was one of the greats, right? Yeah, he's one of the greats. That's what I was kind of wondering. If, uh, if not this time, maybe the next time around, you guys should get somebody that can sort of mimic him and sing some of those songs. And, uh, you know, well, I don't think we have to be serious we're, we're, all the time. We're bringing folk singer uh, Kevin Hutchins. Oh, okay. You know, yeah. he, who will be singing some of the labor songs. And uh, I'm, I'm sure the Cottonwood Band will be doing some of them as well, right? You know, like the... Uh, you know, like there's the there's the old song "Solidarity Forever," and uh, uh, anyway, a lot of other ones that um, are part of the popular, uh, you know, cultural history of uh, of North America. And uh, yeah, I know it's important. Like the critical thing is, is that you know the whole there's going to be free food and entertainment for the whole family. Good. Yeah. You know, I, I got okay. a question. I got a question for you, Peter. There. Uh, 
about uh, some incidents in, in Prince George historically. Uh, do you know anything about the kind of the standoff in the 30s? <clears throat> I think on the uh, near the jail, I think there was maybe a, a camp. Uh, they put a bunch of guys to work building that road up there back in the 30s, and there's there's a, some kind of story about that, wasn't there? Uh yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure. I know that there were some incidents up here, you know, at the time of the, the Second World War and, and so on. And there was a, I know there was a May Day celebration in Prince George in the 1930s, actually. I found it on the, in the old newspapers, right? But, uh, you know, like the, Prince George has its own, uh, labor history that goes back, uh, you know, a hundred years, you know, and, uh, it's uh, you know some people have done some research on that, right? But uh, I, I've got another question for you, Peter. Um, you know, when we look at kind of the lumber industry in town, and we look at you know the monopolization of of that industry by basically one or two big companies, how do you think labor? How do you think labor is supposed to respond to that? Well, the, you know, the critical thing is that uh, you, you know labor, you know, from the very beginning has always tried to have more say and more input in terms of what happens, right? You know, like I know uh, lots of, um, you know, for example, uh, lots of people in the labor movement have always been interested in developing more processing, more more added value uh, production, right, in terms of the forest industry and other resource industries, and has has made that known in various ways, uh, you know, so... Uh, that's an important aspect of, um, you know, w- what, what's what been put forward. And there's been other aspects as well. I just want to sort of get, you know, my take on a lot of this stuff, whether it's development or whether it's management, union uh, relationships and that, there has to be balance. Like, uh, <clears throat> and I don't see anybody that's in charge of balance. This seems to be driven in one direction or another direction. Like all this development up in uh, upper... College Heights or University Heights or something are being driven are being driven by vested interest groups. And I don't take that away from them, but and a lot of other things are being driven by other vested interest groups. And then the people that are left are sort of like the meat in the sandwich, and uh, and they don't have any representation, and so there's nobody to speak for them. And and that includes the unions. The unions got their own jobs to do, and they do speak for a lot of people. But there's a lot of people out there that basically have, even their aldermen or their councillors or their MLAs, the system needs to be changed a bit. Like, it seems Prince George is quite often in the position of, we vote for people who are out of office, and uh, the rest of the country votes people into office. So anytime we go to our MLA, he's probably not in government. <laughs> he's in opposition. So we don't even, you know, we don't even look after our own interests to make sure if we, and uh, you know, this, we got to be able to change that at some point and get a throw a bigger net out there and get more people involved because uh, it's not a good situation. Yeah, it just doesn't seem like the public interest is ever being looked after, and, and it's a real shame because Prince George is such a such an awesome community, and we have such a strong sense of identity, and we look out for each other. But when it gets to government. Uh, you know, it's like the government isn't really looking out for us. I don't see anybody. And yeah, you know, I asked you what labor could do about uh, these big monopsonies we've got running our town, Peter. And and you know, re- realistically, there's there's not a lot they can do. You know, the the power of the labor movement, I think, historically has gone way down from from where it was. You know, I think in the 70s, I think if uh, I think the labor unions could be 
have quite a bit more influence in saying, hey, maybe this company should be broken up. Maybe we should bring some antitrust uh, legislation, which is on the books. We should bring that to bear on some of these big companies and, and get more competition. Uh, at the end of the day, that's that's what we need. We need competition. You can't have private privately run monopolies. That's just totally contrary to labor. It's contrary to the public interest. It's contrary to the consumer. And ultimately, I think you got to have the government step in and and stand up for the public. And we just don't see that happening. I think we've kind of conflated corporate interests with the public interest. I think that's been the real legacy of Reaganomics and Thatcherism and however that kind of came to play in Canada. And we got to go back in time and go back to the 50s and 60s where where we did have a government that looked out for the people. We don't have that right now. Well, yeah, like the whole issue of... Uh of communities and uh, people having more control and more decision-making, you know, which gets into the political sphere, right? You know, like in terms of, you know, we, we have uh, representational forms of, uh, of, of government and elections, right, you know, where we uh, uh, elect somebody and then they take on the power, and oftentimes it's connected to a political or part of a political party, but the power gets taken away from the people in terms of... Uh, actually having uh, serious input and uh, decision-making power in terms of what happens, whether it's uh, economy or uh, politics or culture or whatever. You know, so that's a, that's a, to me, is a fundamental issue that we're, you know, as, as uh, this uh, century goes on, is going to be more and more come to the fore, is that we need better ways of of making it so that the people can participate and have more decision-making power. And I mean people like workers and small business and, uh, and medium business and uh, professionals and, you know, uh, everyone, right? Instead, we have a situation where people are are kind of alienated from the process. I, I think uh, tonight at City Council, I think you'll you'll be a, see a really good example of that in play and, and I think you put your finger right on it there, Peter, and it's, you know, you vote for these these politicians in elections, but a lot of times these politicians have no power, and it's actually the bureaucracy. It's city staff, it's provincial staff, it's a ministry of forests, that kind of thing. Okay, we're going to go to a breakdown, then we'll be back and uh, wrap her up. Theatre Northwest Summer Workshop Series wraps up August 27th with Workshop 3, Putting it together, this workshop will demonstrate a variety of acting techniques and approaches to rehearsing scenes with a partner or an ensemble. Attendance of previous workshops is recommended, but not required. Registration and more details are available through the Shows and Events menu link at theaternorthwest.com. Summer Workshop 3, Putting It Together, Saturday, August 27th from 1 to 4.30 at Theatre Northwest. The Seniors Resource Centre has plenty of programs and support services for those 55-plus. An affordable lunch can be delivered through Meals on Wheels, non-medical needs be covered through Better at Home, and the Housing and Community Navigator can help locate housing and other valuable resources. Call 250-564-5888 for more information, or stop by the Prince George Council Seniors Resource Centre between 9 and 3, Monday through Friday, at the corner of 7th and Victoria. The Prince George Council of Seniors is looking for volunteers. Help out with their Meals on Wheels program, delivering hot meals to shut-ins, as a social line volunteer making friendly phone calls by covering a three- to four-hour shift at the Seniors Resource Centre front desk or assist with a few tasks in their new Better at Home program. For more information, email info.pgcos at gmail.com or drop by the Seniors Resource Centre at 7th and Victoria. 
Continuing Education at CNC is presenting Medical Terminology Online. Open the door to a career in healthcare environment with a base knowledge in medical terminology. This online course examines the basic fundamentals of medical terminology in both written and spoken forms. Registration and full details are available through Continuing Education at CNC. Medical Terminology Online runs Thursday evenings from 6 to 9 for 15 weeks starting September 8th with a registration deadline of September 1st. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back and uh, in the final segment of the show. I just want to, uh, I mean, there's, there's pros and cons. You know, the, right now I sort of see things in British Columbia as big companies, big government, big unions, and uh, First Nations have a big say in what goes on now. So those are the four main four main power blocks. And then <clears throat> over on the left side or right-hand side or whatever you want are the standard everyday people, taxpayers, trying to make a living without any representation. Uh, you know, you get some representation from those groups if you happen to be involved with them, but if you're not then you have no representation. So you have your vote, and uh, you know you get it every four years, and people tend not to use it. So uh, you know, I just want to touch on, uh, on the last 2018 election, because this is really not good for Prince George, who likes to be a leader in, uh, in the cities and around British Columbia. But we had uh, voter turnout, Prince George, and possible 54,852 eligible voters, uh, we had 13,184 people voted. Mm-hmm. Out of those, the mayor got around 11,000, and somebody ran against them got two or 3,000. So that means there were rough, rough numbers. 41,668 people didn't vote. Now, really, that is a horrendous number. That's terrible. Terrible because over thirty-five thousand people in Prince George own houses, so we know that if you own a house in any town in Canada now, you're you're not exactly starving to death, and you're well off and probably got a job. So how come people can't vote? How come they don't vote? I mean, this is your one chance to exercise your power, and you sit at home and you don't do it. So I'm not impressed with that number, and then. There's only, uh, there's only, we're sixth or seventh in the list of the worst turnouts in British Columbia. So Mackenzie District is 19%. New Hazelton, 21%. We got uh, Armstrong, BC, at 22%. Fort St. John at 19%. And Golden at 23%. And then after that, it's us. Prince George at twenty four percent. Some of these places only have, uh, you know, three, four, five, eight thousand people living there or something. This is a terrible number. It's terrible. I haven't had a chance to compare it to what we call our uh, like minded cities that we like to compare our salaries to or our taxes, whatever works for us. Oh well, in Coquitlam and Penticton and Vernon and that they do this. Well, another thing they do is they have a better voter turnout than we do. We don't talk about that. So this lack of voter turnout is part of the problem because the people themselves are not participating in trying to get things done. So 
Uh, do you want to maybe just talk on that, James, and we'll get it rolling here? I think there's a couple of neat ideas about uh, how to increase turnout that I've that I've seen talked about. One of the ideas is uh, having kind of a ward-based city government. So you basically vote for your neighborhood boss. Um, uh, they've got that in Toronto and, and a lot of other major Canadian cities. I think Calgary's got that. So instead of, you know, at-large kind of uh, council systems, you're actually, you know, you've got you're voting for your person to represent your neighborhood. And I think that kind of makes makes people feel a little bit more connected to the electoral system. Uh, and the other theory I, I have that I just talked about right before the break is that we've just, and what Peter's mentioned, is that we've kind of become disenfranchised between uh, between us and the government. And it doesn't matter who you elect, it's it's not going to make a difference because the politicians aren't in control. It's the bureaucracies. It's the civil service in control making recommendations that, that they feel suit, you know, vested interests and corporate interests. And we've, we don't have politicians that can really fight for the public interest anymore. So I think, I think that's kind of another bigger, bigger issue at play, not just our city, but I think all across our, our society. And I don't really have an easy answer for that one. What do you think, Herb? Uh, yeah, you know, I think what one thing that uh, I think Australia has done is it basically made it mandatory to vote in elections, and uh, you get a rebate on your taxes if you do. So, uh, so it's I mean it's not actually mandatory. I mean if you if you don't you 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 basically lose that on a hundred bucks. But you know maybe something like that could uh, could work here. You know it's uh, you know if there's a, if there's a money uh, direct impact on your wallet. Uh, uh, you know that that tends to people get people motivated and um, look you know it's it's their own pocketbooks people should be interested the fact that uh, only less than one one in four uh, voters actually go out and vote that's that's pretty scandalous and really I mean it's uh, people have no right to complain about government if they don't actually vote so yeah no, it's it's time to start looking at some solutions I mean, one of the interesting things about our our city government and, and I think this is true for a lot of smaller mid-sized municipalities in, in BC is that you know a lot of these city councillors they're not it's not really a full-time job I think the remuneration is only about twenty three thousand dollars or something like that and you know they have a meeting once a month and they're, they're probably they're doing some community work and going out and talking to people but it's not a full-time job and and I think we we don't give them the authority that maybe we should be giving them as a result of that. You know, I think if we had counselors and we were, we were expecting them, you know, this is your job for the whole year, maybe they'd take a little bit uh, more of an active role in writing reports and, and providing feedback on these council reports uh, before they, they're just put in front of them and they vote yes or no on them. Well, I'd, I'd like to take issue with the thing that you're saying, that it's not a full-time job. Jillian Merrick actually took it very seriously. She said it was a, a horrendous amount of work that was involved. So if, if she was studying all the reports that came across her uh, her desk, she said that she'd be uh, working 12 hours a day. She said the uh, the average salary was something like less than 20 bucks an hour. So... Um, she quit after after one term, I believe, and uh, uh, yeah, she she said it w- it wasn't uh, wasn't sufficient. Okay, we're going to go to you, Peter, for the just a minute. One minute. You, you got one minute, Peter, to wrap her up. Uh, well, I, I, I guess yeah, like I I would agree with uh, what James and and Herbert are getting at there, right? You know, like we're it's like our electoral system is like a Model T that hasn't been upgraded, and it needs to be upgraded to give. Uh, have it so that people are able to um, be part of the decision making and so on. And um, and anyway, in the meantime, 
invite everyone to come out to Labor Day. Everyone's welcome, and uh, anyway, we can celebrate together. That's three okay. weeks from today. Yeah, like it's uh, um, September 5th at the, at the 10.30, the March, 12 noon, the uh, celebration in Canada Games Plaza. Everyone's welcome. And, and, and come on down to City Council tonight, everybody, 545, meet at City Hall. Okay, we're going to wrap her up. That was, uh, well, I found it interesting, but of course, <clears throat> there's always so much to talk about, you only get into parts of it, so we'll be around for a while to do the rest. Thank you very much for listening today, and thanks to my guests for being on. After 9 is a weekday presentation of CFISFM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Eric Allen, Kylie Lewis-Holt, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Theme music is by The Ebbs. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. Owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society, you're listening to CFISFM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at 93.1 FM.